Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 18 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Hi, everybody, and thanks for listening. Today, I'll be speaking with Eileen Devine. Eileen is a therapist in Portland, Oregon, and founder of Brain First Parenting and the membership community, The Resilience Room. She has over 15 years of clinical experience with a special emphasis on working with families impacted by fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and other brain-based neurobehavioral conditions that have challenging and confusing behavioral symptoms. With the use of teleconferencing technology, she consults with parents nationally and internationally, providing them with the support they need to implement the neurobehavioral model in their everyday parenting and interactions with their child. Eileen is an instructor for the Postmaster's Certificate in Adoption and Foster Family Therapy through Portland State University's Child Welfare Partnership where she teaches other providers about FASD and how to use the neurobehavioral model in their work with families impacted by this disability. In addition to this professional experience, Eileen has lived the experience of parenting a child with the diagnosis of an FASD. So she understands intimately the day-to-day struggles her clients are working through. Her goal is to support parents and caregivers of children with those frequently misunderstood brain-based conditions on their unique parenting journeys so that they, their children, and their family can thrive. Children exhibit challenging behavior when the demand is being placed on them outstrip the skills they have to respond adaptively to those demands. The same can be said for all human beings. Dr. Ross Green. So today I am so happy to have on our show, Eileen Devine. Eileen is the founder of Brain First Parenting and also the membership community, The Resilience Room. I follow Eileen on social media as well as I subscribe to her emails and um, she is just such a wonderful combination of lived experience as a parent of a kiddo child with an FASD and as a professional who's received training and gives training and is just such a resource. So I love when we have guests that have both that lived experience and that professional experience. So Eileen, welcome to FASD Hope. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. I like to start off with your experience and what got you into the world of FASD. So um, maybe you can share with us both your personal and professional background and how FASD ties into both those worlds. Yeah, sure. Thanks. So as you already mentioned, I'm the parent of a kiddo with an FASD. My daughter, Maya, is, um, well, at the She's 11, but she'll be 12 in a few weeks by the time this episode is released. She'll be 12. And we adopted Maya at birth. She's not our only child. We also have um, a biological son, Connell, who's only 15 months older than her. So she she came to us very quickly and unexpectedly. It's a long story that I won't go into. (laughs) 
um, but that's why they're so close in age. And really quickly, we started to recognize that her development wasn't typical. I think we had the advantage of having two kids that were very similar in age and kind of having that side-by-side -side comparison. And um, we were lucky enough to have a really clear history from BioMom in terms of her drinking. Um, we had a developmental pediatrician who diagnosed Maya um, before she was two years old. I had no idea at that point how lucky we were to be able to get to that diagnosis. But having that diagnosis honestly um, didn't help us a whole lot in terms of how to parent her. So it was around age three or so when her behaviors started getting really concerning to us that we were like, how can we not get a handle on this? I'm, I'm a clinical social worker. My husband was an educator at the time. But like if we don't have the skills to do this, the resources to do this, the knowledge, then like who does? Why, <laughs> Why are we failing miserably with her when things are going great with our son? So just by a Google search, I found Diane Malbin and I live in Portland, Oregon. She lives 20 minutes away from me. I couldn't believe the luck that her training took place in the city I live in. Went to her three-day training and it was life-changing. And so that was when Maya was three. And leaving that training, I thought, oh my goodness, I can't believe that nobody taught us this, that it wasn't like, here's the diagnosis of FASD. And also you should know that you need to parent her differently and this is how. And I thought, well, there has to be some way to get this information to parents. And so um, that thought kind of stayed with me for quite a while, for a few years. And then Diane started offering her training of the trainers program. And this is, she's since retired, but this is when she was teaching it herself. And so I jumped on that, that, um, that opportunity to train with her and to become a certified um, facets facilitator. The piece that also stayed with me after learning the information about the neurobehavioral model and that initial training was, you know, I had the information, it resonated with me, it made sense to me. But when I got back home, things were still really hard. <laughs> and it, it, it made a huge difference immediately in the way that I saw my daughter and viewed her behaviors. And also there was still so much that I had to learn and staying on that neurobehavioral path. Like I was like, I can't do this on my own. Like I need somebody or a community of people to help me stay this course and not fall off into this behavioral lens. So I went searching for those people. I could not find them. <laughs> There was no, you know, that at the time, there wasn't any group that I could find that thought the same way that I did about these behaviors and understood this model in a way that they could support me and kind of stay in this course. And so fast forward to the training of the trainers program. When I finished that, I was like, that's what I want to create. There's no reason that any parent should feel alone in this parenting experience. Every parent should have access to this information. And so I'm just going to do my best to create that. And so that's kind of what's led me to the work that I do today. Hearing that answer, something that actually struck me, and I don't know why this hasn't, I haven't realized this before, but you make this incredible point of that when our children, or in our case, our son was a teenager when he was diagnosed, when we get the diagnosis of having an FASD, you're 100% right. There is nobody saying, oh, you know, these are approaches that are successful or these are approaches that can help you parent your child because it's, it's a brain-based disability. You know, when you think about other brain-based diagnoses, 
for example, the autism spectrum. When parents receive those diagnoses, you know, they usually receive different types of, okay, you know, you can try this or this or this different approaches. But that is, that's like a, a, an aha moment for me. That would be so, wouldn't it be so amazing if, you know, all of the FASD diagnostic clinics or anybody who was able to diagnose FASD could also say, listen, here are some options, including the neurobehavioral parenting option. Mm -hmm. That would be amazing. It would be amazing because you don't know what you don't know. So you can't do better until you have information that you were missing, right? And and what I always say to the parents that I work with is I truly believe there's more hope for us and for our kids than we are ever led to believe in the beginning. And I don't know about you, but when Maya first got her diagnosis, you know, of course I'm like, I'm a social worker, I can figure this out. (laughs) And everything that I read was like, these are the things that she's at most risk for. She's at high risk for this and that and this and that. And as she gets older, it basically just gets worse. <laughs> that was that was how I received that information. And a caring, loving home is important. Yes. And that was seriously all it said. I was like, that can't be it because that's what we're doing. And it's not getting better. It's actually making things worse, right? So, yeah. yeah. And the other thing too, and this has been kind of a um, sentiment that's come up in quite a few of our previous episodes is, and, and we've experienced this personally with our son, who's now 18 is especially during puberty. And during those middle teen years, I think they need more supports than they did when they were younger and in, in that elementary kind of age, because mm-hmm. when you know the science behind FASD, you know, that developmental age and the chronological age the gap just widens. That's where, that's where I think another area that um, people who do diagnoses, you know, professionals who diagnose can emphasize that too, that it's, it's lifelong. And, you know, especially during the middle teen, you know, early teen years, it's going to be challenging and and it's even, you know, going to be dark sometimes and and you need to be be prepared for that. So that's why I love hearing about what you're doing with the resilience room, because you're providing that community, that safe place for parents and caregivers or anyone who needs you to help them with this journey that you're personally on yourself. That's wonderful. So you became an FASD educator, parents support consultant, facets trainer, about how long have you been doing that? So let's see. Well, I took the training of the trainers program in 2014, I believe around 2014, 2015. And, you know, not knowing exactly what I was going to do with that education. It took me a little while to figure out that path. I was working one-on-one with parents for a while and, and still do that to the capacity as much as I'm able to, but then really saw this need that actually the parents that I was meeting with one-on-one, something that I would hear from them over and over again was um, nobody would believe me if I told them what my night was like last night. (laughs) And I'd say, oh yeah, no, I just met with someone last hour. (laughs) They described the same thing. Like there, there are so many of you parents out here parenting, trying so hard to parent these kiddos from this lens and having these, you know, really 
um, having the successes that are unique, I think, that we all see as successes, but maybe the rest of society doesn't, but also then the really hard times too. And so that's what then led me to develop the resilience room and bring these parents together because there really is no reason that any one person should ever feel alone in this parenting journey. No, no, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons my husband and I started FASD Hope was to, again, we're on the same journey, you know, we're down the road a little bit, but still the journey doesn't end and the road doesn't end. We want to be there. We want to be the podcast and the resource that we wanted five, 10 years ago, you know, and, and I'm, I, I, the way so many of our conversations with our guests are people who have that lived experience and, you know, said, just like you, I want to be a resource for someone. I want to help someone so they don't feel alone. That again, that's another common thread that we hear a lot on our podcast. So before we get into the resilience room, which, which again, I, I'm so excited about you talking to me today about uh, the resilience room. Before we get into that, let's talk about some important factors in supporting individuals that have an FASD. Just things that um, are good starting points for parents to know when they're seeking to get support for their, their child or for their children. Yeah, so I do. I mean, of course, there's some things that vary by age, depending on the age of your child. But the things that I think are universal are actually more parent focused than child focused. Like I'm sure as you've learned, so much of parenting these kiddos is about us changing and really redefining what it means to be a parent and compliance and respect and meeting expectations and Um, And really reimagining a future for our child that maybe is different than we were first, you know, than we first thought. And all of that takes a tremendous amount of energy and um, time and dedication. And so one of the things that I think is universal in supporting the kids is for the parents to understand that they're human. They're not going to do it perfectly. It's a steep learning curve. And self-compassion is the biggest thing that you can do to help yourself in parenting your child in the way that they require, right? If you don't know where else to start, understand that this doesn't come naturally. Nobody teaches us this. And to have loads of self-compassion is going to be a great starting place. And then understanding, so there's that, I think of it as two sides of a coin. So you have one side of the coin, which is how your child's brain works differently and really understanding that in very intimate, detailed and specific ways. And then the other side of the coin is the parent experience and understanding yourself (laughs) and how those behaviors trigger you and settle with you and what you need to do, kind of where the growth opportunity is within yourself so that you can be the parent that you so desperately want to be with your child. So it's, it's this, it's, I think it's much more complicated than we're first led to believe. Like I, I think most parents come to me and say, it's completely focused on the child in their mind. They want to know what to do to help those behaviors just go away and stop. And I understand that it's, it's chaos, it's distressing, but when we can take a step back and understand this is a journey that is a marathon, not a sprint, right? That I do not know what's best for your child, but I will walk alongside you to help you find the information so that you and I can figure it out together. And then you'll be on your way. Then you don't need me walking beside you forever and ever. You might need a community of people, but not that one-on-one piece, right? You have the confidence to move forward with that information and that settling into the idea 
that this is the way that you will parent your child the rest of your life, right? And that's a really, really big one, I think, for a lot of parents. So you notice all of that that I've just talked about is not about specific cognitive skills and brain tasks, <laughs> which is part of this puzzle and part of the learning curve. And we do learn that in this model, but, but it's so much more than that. You can have that information about, okay, my child is lagging in executive functioning skills or processing pace. You can have that information, but if you don't understand how this is you know, settling with you emotionally as a unique individual and kind of what you need to do to settle into this new parenting paradigm, then I just don't think you're gonna get as far as you hoped. Right? And that's a really hard thing for some parents to hear, but I have come to believe that it's the absolute truth. There's no way around it. I agree a hundred percent. When we took the facets training and when we truly embraced, I think for so many years, when we thought what we were seeing were, were behaviors and willful versus yeah. actual symptoms, behavioral symptoms. And when we learned again, the science behind the diagnosis it really went from us trying to figure out how to change what was in our son's life and change, you know, our son, what was happening to how do we change our paradigm of thought? Mm -hmm. How do we change our thought process? I use this comparison, but it's almost like the movie, the matrix, you know, where you can take one pill or the other pill and the one pill mm -hmm. is reality <laughs> and, and reality is, is not pretty, but it's different. And it, it's just a total shift in your mind and, and in your thought yeah. process. And, and um, when you truly embrace neurobehavioral parenting, then it, it doesn't, it never goes away again. Like you said, it never goes away. However, you see things from a, the brain perspective and it's okay. This is a symptom. And I've used this comparison also, I've, I've, I've said this jokingly, but I, I kind of think like I'm a treasure hunter, you know, and that, okay. Mm -hmm. Or an investigator, you know, yeah, what's, what's, what's behind, work. exactly. Yep, what's behind uh -huh. <laughs> the symptom. And again, there's no, if a, then B it's just, okay, this is, this is what we have. Mm -hmm. This is what we're looking at. So yeah, yeah. I, I agree. It's really supporting your, your child, meeting them where they're at, focusing on their strengths and supporting their needs. But at the same time, I a hundred percent agree with you. If you as a parent or caregiver do not understand the basis behind that, it's what we have to change, yeah. not what your child, you know, yeah. changes then. Yeah. That that's yeah. the whole, that's the whole like concept of, of neural behavioral yeah. parenting. You're making those accommodations. So, yeah, well, and also I think with, with one always comes the other. So understanding how your child's brain works differently, like those very concrete ways, like cognitive skills and tasks that I was mentioning earlier, parents, what I find is that parents are really relieved to have that information understandably. Cause then they're like, Oh, that's why we see this challenging behavioral symptom. That's why our child melts down every time they're asked to do this task. They don't have the skills to do it. Okay, I get it. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I know this. And also, once they see that, it's hard to unsee it, right? Once they see, say, the dismaturity, it's hard to unsee it. And what comes with that? Grief and loss and sadness, the permanency of it sinks in, right? And so you have both. You have this hope because now you know things that you didn't know before and you think, oh, I can actually do something about this and help my child. And also there's a sadness with it. So if you don't 
if you if you don't recognize that and have a place to be able to process the yes and it's go it just makes things so much more difficult to move forward i think absolutely something that i consider to be a, a source of hope is support especially with other parents, caregivers, just people who understand this journey. It's so unique. It's so different. And let's just talk about the resilience room and when you started it and how it benefits those, especially caregivers, parents in the FASD community. Great. Thanks. The resilience room is something I is it's so near and dear to my heart. I love this community so much. It's it's honestly the nicest group of supportive people I've ever had the chance to spend time with, which is what I expected in creating it, but it's such a lovely environment and community. So it is, it's a membership community. It's a paid membership community and parents um, join uh, to find parents who understand their lived experience, to grow in their understanding of the neurobehavioral model, to have a community of people who are working as hard as they are to parent from this perspective and can help them reframe those difficult behaviors who see them and hear them and can provide them with the support that they need. So there's a few different aspects to it. One is the educational piece where I do a lot of teaching and training and there's a course room and recorded webinars and that sort of thing on the neurobehavioral model so that each month parents get kind of a new lesson on that model that they can continue to grow in their understanding. There's also that other side of the coin, the parent experience. And so we have education and, and lessons on that as well, because as I've already said, I think it's um, equally important. And then there's the community aspect of it. So it's the private Facebook group. There's Zoom um, discussions where we meet as groups and talk about whatever is on the minds of those parents. Sometimes there's more focused topics that I'll bring to the group. Other times it really is the parents just coming and talking about, for example, what's happened and that they just can't get that paradigm shift to happen on their own, that they're still stuck in that behavioral lens in terms of what just happened with their child, which is totally understandable, right? We've all been there. And so this community can help them kind of shift that and come up, brainstorm accommodations. I mean, as you know, going through the, the FACETS training, um, accommodations are much easier to come up with, with a community of people who can help you see the patterns, help you make those connections, link it to brain function, all of those kinds of things. That's really hard to do on your own when you're at the beginning of this learning curve. Um, so yeah, those Zoom, um, those Zoom calls, we do that. We'll meet as age specific groups too. I just got done doing that last week. So um, the parents with young kiddos and middle-aged kiddos and then young adults and then adults, we have some parents who have kids who are 18 and older um, that we meet with as well. And that is just every single time I get off and I say to my husband, I just love my parents so much <laughs> because each conversation is so life-giving and um, I'm just so happy to be a part of it. And I hope that there are listeners out there that are interested in this because it just sounds like such a valuable resource. Again, something, you know, my husband and I would have been looking for five, 10 years ago. So it's such a needed support. Um, and especially now that, um, you know, of course, COVID has changed everything. What changes do you see for the resilience room and for the community in the year 2021? We're airing this in the beginning of 2021. Anything new coming up for 2021? 
Yeah, yeah. So um, one thing, the resilience room in the past has been a closed community, meaning I'll open it for periods of time throughout the year and then close it um, where people can't join. And I'm going to change that for 2021 where it remains open all the time. And the reason for that is simply because I have parents who reach out to me in those closed periods and say, I really need the support. Can I join? And I started to think, well, this is silly that I have it closed. Like, why is that? <laughs> like, how did I think that that was a good idea for this model? And so, um, so that's something I'm really excited about to welcome members in whenever they need the support and feel that they need it. Um, one of the other pieces that the, the resilience room members really define what I offer inside of it. And so the structure that I briefly um, described to you really came out of what they told me that they needed and wanted for this community. And so I have a survey going out to all of them. There's over a hundred parents that are part of this community now, and they're gonna give me lots of wonderful feedback, I'm sure, on what to do um, in the coming year so that it can really be flexible and shaped in a way that meets their needs even more so than it does now. Some of those things that I envision for it are more um, seminar type training. So instead of a short recorded webinar, doing a seminar type training where maybe I'll teach a piece, an aspect of kind of the pieces I've described, and then and then they have the ability to talk about that and and really in real time make sense of it with the other members who are also trying to make sense of it. So that when they leave, it's not just information that they heard that's only living inside their own head. <laughs> They've had the chance to talk about it and figure out, well, how best do I now go and use this information to parent my child? And that's terrific. Now it's going to be an open membership. So if you're listening and if you are interested in joining, um, there's no cutoff date, there's no you know deadline <laughs> anymore. So you can, you can just come and join. So that, that's wonderful. So wrapping up this conversation and just sharing you as a, a wonderful resource to parents and caregivers in the FASD community, I like to end our discussions with what I call a hope takeaway. For people who are listening, we, you know, I get emails from people who are just beginning this journey, or maybe they're at a different point in their journey that they're just not expected. And I like to consider our podcast and, and our website is kind of like the, the guidepost in the middle of a country road that, you know, kind of points in different directions. Mm -hmm. If somebody's approaching that guidepost and, and doesn't know which way to go and, and they need encouragement or hope, what are some mm -hmm. words that you can offer to them, not only from your professional experience, but from your lived experience? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the things that I would say, you know, going back to that idea that I believe there is more hope than we are led to believe as parents. And that doesn't just come from my kind of optimistic tendency <laughs> to see the world. It's, you know, having worked with so many parents and also adults who have FASD, I've worked with folks who have that lived experience as well. And seeing that there is absolutely the possibility for our kids to live meaningful lives where they are productive members of society and feel like they have a place in this world with self-esteem that are intact. It doesn't mean that their life is easy all the time, right? Um, but that they can live a life that brings them joy, right? That, that where they feel like they have a place. It may be different than what we envisioned for our child when they were little, right? But it doesn't mean um, that it's, that it's a, a less than alternative. And the other piece that I would say alongside that is that it's never too late. And so 
I mean, you could probably speak to this better than anyone that getting this information, I work with lots of families who get this information when their child is teenage years, young adult, and it's still life-changing for them. Their relationship with their child changes. Um, so that's the other thing that I would say, if you say like things have been so bad for so long, I get that. And I'm so sorry to hear that. And also things can get, still get better. They really honestly can. Yes, I agree a hundred percent. And I'm very thankful you're reminding everybody of that. So thank you for being on FASD Hope, Eileen. This has been a lovely conversation. Let's share with folks how people can get in touch with you. Great. Thank you. And thank you for having me. It's been wonderful to finally meet you and to be able to be on here. <laughs> um, so people can find me on uh, my website. It's just my name, EileenDevine.com, but I'm also on um, Facebook and I'm also on Instagram with my name as well. So you can follow me either one of those places as well. And you mentioned my newsletter earlier. If you go to my website, there's an opportunity to sign up for my newsletter and I send out blogs and information and resources to parents through that. So, And as someone who subscribes to your newsletter, it is very helpful. I, I really enjoy the encouragement that you send out to, to folks. Oh, so thank, thank you. you. Appreciate so, that feedback. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure. Thank you for listening. And we will catch you next time. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com. Or please leave us a five-star rating and follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us next week. And remember, to be informed, take care, and always have hope.